bunch of badasses if you know what I mean They're coming out of the sky, out of the sea And on land gonna take it to the enemy Lock it low boys, time to explode boys Make sure you get home boys They got your back, the pride of the fleets The bright swinging frogmen of the UDT Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine coming at you from Seal Fit Headquarters here in sunny Encinitas, California. And this is our weekly podcast. I'm delighted to have my friend, my new friend, Ben Greenfield, uh, here with me this morning. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things. I love uh, guests like Ben because Ben is so diverse and so multi talented and multifaceted that who knows where we're going to go with this podcast who knows that's can, okay with you. Go anywhere. <laughs> you know because one thing that you know about seal fit is that we train to get better at life and it's a it's a really a lifestyle and i think ben shares that whole philosophy toward fitness and we may even talk about uh, how to raise kids it's there we go superhumans super little superhumans <laughs> so ben thank <laughs> you for joining us hey before we get started though if you're not part of our email list and go to sealfit.com drop your name into our little opt-in box that way you stay apprised of all of uh, the cool content we got coming out and also some special offers offers that are only available to subscribers so ben day after kokoro camp day after kokoro yeah yeah my voice is a little bit shot yeah, sounds good. And uh, I've got my compression pants on, but feeling feeling good. So feel like I did a little workout. Ben spent uh, seven days here, so you were here for yep. last Saturday for the uh, the the uh, comprehensive academy, academy, which was fantastic. That was a blast. And then things got kind of turned ben up ended a little up bit. On Thursday and then yep. Friday morning, the, uh, the dial yeah. got dialed up a little bit. Yep. Rolled right into Kokoro camp. Yeah, Kokoro 34. So this is pretty neat. I don't often have the opportunity to do these in person, so I yeah. appreciate you sticking around for this. Before we get kind of into your life, what inspired you to do the Seal Fit Academy in Kokoro Camp? I mean, where did that come from? Well, the, I remember just getting a note saying, hey, man, yeah. it's coming. And I'm like, oh, how cool. Yeah. The Academy, well, well the, the first place I actually heard, you know, because I read your book and seen some of your stuff, but I heard about Kokoro through some of my friends at Nike. Who, okay. who came down and, right. and did the camp. And when I looked into it and saw that you had the academy too, the academy looked really interesting because of all the skills. Like that's what appealed to me, just going, being able to go and immerse myself in, in CrossFit skills and um, a lot of the unbeatable mind stuff that you do and you know the box breathing and just, just all these things that can make you um, emotionally and mentally stronger. And then once I saw Kokoro at the end of that, um, Kokoro, the main reason that I wanted to tack that on is because, you know, I've got two little boys at home right. and I want to do the best job that I can in raising them to be stronger young men. Right. And so that was a big, big motivator for me was that I've, I've never actually put myself through a crucible like that. Like I've done triathlons and everything, but, um, yeah, even then, I mean, really an Ironman triathlon is, is kind of like a catered you know, workout. It's a tough workout. And this is a little, you know, you get beat up a little bit. You definitely get people in your face screaming at you. There's no, no helpful volunteers handing you a glass of ice water or anything right. like that. Like it's, it's all pretty extreme. And, uh, you know, I, I did that because I wanted to get stronger so I can teach my kids a lot of the skills. Right. And, you know, between that and the academy, I've picked up so many things I can go back and, and teach them. Perfect. So that, that was the main thing. I mean, not skills like teaching them how to lift a heavy log, sure. per se. Although but that might come in handy. Yeah, yeah, but just how to kind of be there mentally and emotionally and physically. Right. So 
So yeah, and then it kind of kind of a side reason was that I've got uh, the Spartan World Championships in a few weeks, so I figured this would be kind of a last good final sure. training weekend to put myself through it's before I start bold, to bold to do this just yeah. before the World Championships. Yeah, yeah, I think it I think it works out perfectly. There's yeah. there's about 27 days or so of recovery, okay. so yeah, yeah so I can I can super compensate and then sure. then yeah. taper for that. Did you use the um, Unbeal Mind skills that you learned from the academy during Kukuo Camp? Oh, th- that was crucial. I think that that doing the academy leading up to Kokoro, just because I mean you know we're doing we're doing operator wads every morning and you know moving on. We did a five hour ruck the day before Kokoro, and you go into Kokoro almost feeling a little bit physically spent, and that made me nervous. But once we started Kokoro and I started box breathing, and I, I was doing warrior breathing, that hyper oxygenation um, before some of the workouts. Uh, using the big four of basically, you know, visualizing and breathing positivity, making these little mini goals along the, the rucks and the longer workouts. I felt so strong mentally, so strong. I mean, and, you know, there, there were three other guys that did the academy, and I think that they also, you know, even though we were all physically a little bit spent mentally, we were there. Um, so, yeah, it helped tremendously. Well, that's cool. Well, congratulations. Thanks. What an accomplishment. Thanks. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be digesting that for a little while to come. Yep. Yep. So now, in your uh, career, right? You're a, um, like I said, you're pretty multifaceted. You're an author. Uh, you've got a New York Times bestselling book called Beyond Training. So definitely want to talk about that book, how that came about, and you know what what does that mean Beyond Training? I think I know what it means. I'm not. I do yeah. Because I've read the book and it's outstanding. Um, but I want kind of our viewers to get a sense for what it. What is right. this world around and outside of training that makes your training so much more effective? Right. Cool. Yeah. So let's let's start there, um, and just kind of dig into you know the genesis for that book and uh, some of the some of the cool ideas that you put out. Yeah. Well, my, well, my background is in triathlon, and I've been doing that for about eight years, beating up my body with triathlon and and Ironman workouts mm-hmm. and. A couple of years ago, I started to get into blood and biomarker testing. So testing things like HSCRP, testosterone, hormones, mm-hmm. gut testing for digestion, and kind of kind of getting into a little bit more both the quantitative and qualitative aspects of seeing how your body really is doing from a longevity standpoint and a recovery standpoint, and not just uh, you know a looking good with your shirt off standpoint or looking good in, in spandex, as the case may be, and. Uh, by the what way, I you do look pretty good in Spanish. Oh, thank you, thank you. I'm glad somebody noticed. <laughs> so, anyways, what what I found was when I was at my fittest, I would still struggle with things like you know bloating and foggy brain, some sleepiness in the afternoon, and joints that didn't seem to be recovering as quickly as they should. You know, eventually, once you get into harder and heavier training, it seemed to affect sleep. Libido, sure. a lot of these things that that signify that your adrenals are beat up, your digestive system is overtaxed, and your body is basically um, not reaping all the benefits that it could sure. out of being super fit. Right. So you might actually be rebelling against the right, right, exactly. Then and there's there's a lot of people. I mean, that you know, my book was not written for couch potatoes. It was written for people who are out there training and who are suddenly beginning to feel what happens when you just focus on the training but not the recovery the nutrition uh, the de-stressing the sleep protocols and everything else you know even even the the mental and emotional and relationship aspects of life that I talk about in the book 
And so for myself, I found that a lot of that stuff was out of whack. It was not where it should be. And, you know, especially even something as simple as cortisol levels were, were through the roof. You know, even though I had good emotional stability and, re- and good relationships, you know, just the physical strain was jacking cortisol through the roof. So over two years, I spent a lot of time in the trenches, you know, testing both my own body. And I also began to work for a company called Wellness FX that does a lot of blood and biomarker testing of athletes and, and CrossFitters and triathletes and people like that. And be- began to see these same patterns over and over again, thyroid dysregulation, hormonal dysregulation, et cetera. So uh, I wrote the book to, to delve into the solutions to a lot of those problems and to go, you know, like like I titled the book, beyond training, beyond just the workout, and start to look at how can you, you know, how can you hack sleep? How can you optimize recovery? How can you optimize your diet? What's the ideal macronutrient ratio? Just all these things that fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. That's terrific, and there's a ton of information there. Do you need to, you know, I, I'm not a quantitative kind of guy. Like I don't measure. I, I measure my training, but. I don't like do blood tests. You're not a Fitbit guy. <laughs> I'm not a Fitbit. You know what I mean? I don't wear yeah. the little devices and gadgets. Yeah. Look at me. I'm pretty much uh, slick. You know, so I try to just you know, really pay attention to my bodies and my, my natural patterns. Yeah. And I guess where I'm leading to the, with this is how how much of a difference does the quantitative aspect of measuring uh, affect it? Like in your case, could you have yep. gotten the same results just by paying more closer attention to doing mm-hmm. the right things and there, yeah, that's a great question. There, there are clues that your body gives you. Let's use uh, thyroid as an example. So, uh, a very, very common things that happens, common thing that happens to athletes is they'll start to get a little bit of, of sleepiness, a little bit of brain fog. Usually, it sets in sometime in the afternoon. Um, sometimes cold hands, cold feet. Sometimes a little bit of sleep dysregulation, um, and even some some bathroom issues like constipation, for example. And a lot of times that those type of symptoms are due to thyroid dysregulation. Very, very common among athletes. I'm, I'm actually amazed. Caused by what? Just well, that's, overtraining or? that's kind of what I'm getting to is you can see all of these qualitative symptoms and you can, you can say, okay, well, I've probably got a thyroid problem. But then at that point, you don't really know what to do unless you, you go out and you do, and it's a very simple test. You just like a complete thyroid panel. Mm-hmm. So you look at things like thyroid stimulating hormone and T3, T4, thyroid antibodies, uh, your levels of selenium and iodine, and all of a sudden you might see, okay, I'm, I'm producing no thyroid antibodies. This, this is not an issue with things like gluten in my diet affecting my thyroid or, or causing it to, to inflame, which is actually very common. And my, you know, my T4 and my T3 levels are adequate, so somehow I'm producing enough thyroid, but it's, uh, or, or my, my T3 levels are adequate, I'm producing enough thyroid, but it's not getting converted into active form, into T4. And so all this stuff looks just fine, and, and what you'll see in a situation like that is your TSH is still very, very high. Usually, in a case like that, there's something called hypercortisolism. Mm-hmm. And what happens is your body produces thyroid hormone. High levels of cortisol cause that thyroid hormone to not be able to bind to the receptor mm-hmm. and do what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know if that's what's causing thyroid issues or if antibodies are what's causing the issue or if selenium and iodine are what's causing the thyroid issue until you dig in and actually test. You know, and, and there's a variety of other things. You know, uh, another example would be like inflammation. A lot of athletes think they're inflamed, and frankly, a lot of the athletes that I see who are eating healthy aren't. 
um, you can you can test something like HSCRP is a really really common one, um, and and what you'll find typically in, in a lot of athletes these days who are eating like paleo or very like alkalinic diets or even a lot of vegans, low levels of inflammation, but there's something else that's causing uh, their joint issues. For example, um, you know like a, one really really common one is omega three omega six fatty acid imbalances, mm -hmm. so not enough omega three fatty acids in the diet and, and high levels of omega six. Lots of things. I mean, obviously. I spent 500 pages writing yeah, about all right. the different things, but but what what I'm getting to is, you can you can tell some things qualitatively, but until you get in and test, it's very very difficult to take like a you know here's a good analogy for you like you know like a, a laser equipped sniper rifle to a problem versus just like shotgunning it and sure. say okay I'm going to eat healthy and sleep more and hopefully that fixes right. things. Right. Now this makes a lot of sense. I mean, not, um, part of our philosophy and you heard it last week is that. You know, foundational to a good life are, are three primary things: sleep, fueling your body, yep. and training. Yeah. Right. And yep. those provide you that that really solid foundation from where to you know build everything else. You know, yeah. Optimal success. But when things are out of balance or out of whack, even if you're doing everything right, that's where you know we get stuck. Like, right. Even if you think you've got the perfect paleo ish you know, mm -hmm. meal plan or fueling plan and you're actually getting seven and a half to eight hours of sleep a night and you feel like it's high quality sleep and you're working on a really solid training plan yep there's still fine-tuning and you can still get out of balance and yeah so then you need to like you said it makes sense you need to test and figure out where that imbalance is coming from in order to find the, the solution to it. and there are a lot of things that that fly under the radar like you can be lying in your bed for nine hours a night, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting proper circadian rhythm, proper deep sleep cycles, and that could be something as simple as your Wi-Fi router is in your bedroom. So you're getting exposed to one of the biggest sources of electromagnetic field pollution that you could all night long while you're sleeping. You know, fixed by doing something as simple as unplugging it before you go to bed at night, so that you're actually recovering while you sleep. You know, another one Let's is. Stop there uh, for a oh, go ahead. I, I definitely um, I heard that same thing um, with Kirk Parsley. Uh, mm. Was a sleep doc, former yeah. seal, was uh, through here last year, and actually going to have to call it in next week to talk specifically about sleep. But I always wondered, you know, we have all this radiation in our homes, right? And you were talking about how you built your home to be radiated. You actually have a kill switch that, that shuts off yeah. all all electricity, all Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. all everything. Um, just talk a little bit more about why it is. What effect does this, you know, the, the electricity and the sure. Wi-Fi have on you? And is, yeah. is it that bad, or is it? You know, yeah. Are we are we supposing? Is there any research out there? Yet? Yeah, there. You know, there, there's quite a bit of research. Um, a lot of research out of Europe, actually, especially on like cell phones and their effect on on the brain right. and on cell membrane activity. But the the gist of it is that you have a membrane surrounding each of your cells, and that's designed to operate at an electrochemical gradient of 70 millivolts. Okay, so it's 70 is like the perfect gradient, the perfect electrical charge for your cells to operate. In a, in a proper manner. If you're exposed to a lot of what are called positive ions, which would come from like uh, Wi-Fi routers, cell phones, wiring in a home, constant use of electronic devices, Bluetooth signals from your Fitbit or, or whatever the else, they're, they're, they're in a lot of places, but you can, you can definitely set up your environment to significantly right. lower your exposure to these type of things and also increase your exposure to, uh, to negative ions, which helps to counteract right. that, that buildup of positive ions. But the idea 
is that all of these things can work together to drop the gradient to like 30 or 40 millivolts. And if you're constantly exposed to that all day long, that's affecting cellular metabolism very significantly. So obviously one of the things that you do is you get rid of a lot of the things that would build up these positive ions, like doing the kill switches or, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily going to go rebuild their home or redo all their electricity and put kill switches in, but you can, you can turn off your Wi-Fi router at night. I mean, you can, you can even outsource that process and automate that process by purchasing an, an automatic on-off switch off of Amazon for 10 bucks. Mm. That was, that's the thing that, that I was doing until I added this kill switch. But what it does, you set it up. It, it, is the Wi-Fi router the biggest, um, Wi-Fi router is the biggest. Cell phones, especially cell phones held, held up to your ear, are another really, really big source. Um, the wiring in the home can be a source if things are constantly on and running. Microwaves are a big one as well. Even if they're if they're plugged in, they still emit a microwave signal. So if you're not using your microwave, you should just unplug it. Um, but then there, there are also a lot of things that you can do that aren't necessarily omitting certain things, but... Uh, instead, you're, you're committing. You're taking action to fix some of the damage that builds up during the day. There are things like getting outside in your bare feet and just like doing yoga in your bare feet. Well, the earth, the time, yeah, yeah the earth. Dog for a walk deliberately in my bare feet to get yeah. the grounding effect of the earth Same idea behind like grounding mats, right. earthing mats. Um, I have what's called a negative ion generator that I plug into the wall in my office, mm -hmm. and it releases the same type of ions that you get exposed to if you're standing next to like a waterfall or a babbling you know brook up in the mountains just nice. because you know, I, don't, I don't have a mountain brook in my office last i last i checked <laughs> but you are in the but, mountains and you yeah, probably have a babbling brook uh, on I, your property i do i can i can step outside and, and go out to the babbling brook um <laughs> you just set your office up outside yeah exactly and and i do that I, I actually have one of those shields that fits around my laptop and shields it from the sun so oh, i can go outside and, and type and write in the sun but yeah, I mean, you, you can definitely hack your environment to get rid of a lot of these things and also counteract the effects of a lot of them by doing things as simple as, um, you know, barefoot yoga, sure. using a grounding or an earthing mat when you're sleeping. Um, are there, are there builders who are building homes this way now yet? There are. There are. It's, it's not called the Green Builders Association. I forget the name of it. Uh, there's a guy named Oram, or Oram, I don't know how you pronounce his name, it's O-R-A-M, and I believe his last name is Miller, and he's got an excellent website devoted to a lot of these healthy home concepts, yeah. and uh, I actually did a, a three-part uh, podcast series on my website with Dave Asprey, a guy named Jack Cruz, mm -hmm. and then uh, a, like a, a, a green home builder mm -hmm. architect and went into everything from the EMF to also the molds and the fungi, which are another thing that affects you, and even the lighting in your home. Right, you, you know. mentioned yeah. uh, taking out the, a certain spectrum of light in your bedroom yeah. Before, yeah. before sleep. Exactly. Eliminated altogether. Yeah, so, so I, I went through a, a website at Low Blue Lights, yeah. and I outfitted my home in wakefulness areas, like the gym and the living room, it's a full light spectrum. So you're supposed to red light, blue light, etc., kind of like you would be if you were if you're out in the sun. But then in rooms where sleep is important, like my kid's bedroom and, and my master bedroom, it is outfitted with low blue lights or lights that don't emit the same wavelength that would disrupt melatonin release before sleep. And this, this again returns to where how we got on this topic, you know, how you might be sleeping but not recovering. So if you fall asleep after you've been typing on your laptop or after the blue light emitting switch in your in your up above your bed has been on or after you've been reading your e-reader, you can be asleep but not getting optimum melatonin release because you've been exposed to this blue light all day long or, or all night long 
that our ancestors wouldn't normally have been exposed to. You know, they would have been using torchlight or fire, which is right. not high in blue light at all, right. or else they would have been sleeping once the yeah. once the sun set. I so, kind of like the idea of sitting around the fire at night. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's built that way that's actually what Jack. That's what that's what Jack was talking about when I had on a podcast. So he actually he he has uh, these these flames that he puts in a wine. So all his own old wine bottles, he has them set up in different areas around his home, and he's turned them into torch lights. Right. And so when he goes to bed, he's just got like uh, oh, torch lights, or when the, when the sun sets. Um, but yeah, the lighting is really, really important. So, you know, I have an app on my computer that just removes all blue light from the screen mm. and it, it automatically detects the time zone that I'm in. And once the sun has set, it will remove the blue light from the screen. It's called flux. Yeah. Um, and then I have special glasses also. Also, I just don't use my laptop. Yeah, you can, you can do that, but the, yeah, then you run into the problem of, of sometimes having to work at night. Yeah, yeah, productivity goes down the hatch. Well, that's fascinating. I feel like I should be taking notes, you know, like I've already got, yeah. I've already decided in this course of this conversation yeah. to get a kill switch point yeah. by, yeah. right, and to get a, to go to blue light. Exactly, low blue yeah, light low blue lights. That's all right, it's, it's in my book. <laughs> <laughs> so you're now training for the Spartan. Mm -hmm. World race. Now that's a that's a new event, isn't it? That Spartan recently put together with uh, well, Reebok, and it's going to be. Uh, yeah, it's a. They've had the Spartan World Championships before, you know, and Spartan is just a. It's a runoff from the original death race. They wanted to take that death race that like maybe fifty people would start and seventeen would complete and turn it into something that was more palatable for the masses. So they started doing these shorter events that last anywhere from thirty minutes to four hours that are still tough. But, you know, for example, the, uh, yeah, yeah, like a sprint is going to take you, you know, 30 to 60 minutes. And the world championships this year is in Vermont. It's out there kind of close to where the death race is at. And that's a beast, which is about a half marathon of obstacles. Um, and, and that's actually, I'm kind of making the switch right now, or not the switch, but kind of a, a little bit more of a focus on obstacle course racing, just because I like, I like the full body fitness fun, aspects yeah, of it, yeah. and frankly, like I'm I'm never gonna be skinny enough unless I just starve myself to be really really good at triathlon, right. you know, to get a paycheck at the finish line. Right. So, so are you doing this race, um, and with your goal of winning it, just as a challenge, or is it something yeah. you want to do as and get paid yeah. and get sponsored as an athlete? Yeah. My goal is not to win this year uh, because I, I am realistic with my goal. My goal is to win next year. Um, this this year, my goal is top twenty. After Kokoro, now it's top five. <laughs> uh, anyways, though, the uh, the idea is that, you know, I, I used to want to be a professional tennis player growing up. I played collegiate tennis. And I was very into tennis and kind of ditched that dream about two years into college when I realized that I just, I didn't have what it takes. And I, I just didn't start playing early enough and it just, it wasn't a realistic goal. And then I started competing in triathlons. That kind of scratched that itch for a while. You know, I raced as an elite triathlete. Um, I still do, and enjoyed it quite a bit. But again, like felt like my body isn't isn't really quite the type to excel at at, at a very very Two high level in triathlon. Then Hawaii five times. five times. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. And that this is a, a kind of a a controversial rabbit hole. But I've actually done genetic testing that shows that my ideal muscle combination type or my, my, my muscle fiber composition is ideally suited to a combination of power, strength, and endurance. Mm -hmm. And triathlon is actually very much endurance. There's not a lot of power and strength involved at all. 
So, uh, you know, I, I did a few Spartan races and I actually did very well at them and, and realized that if I, if I really pushed myself, I could do even better. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm focused on that. they are a heck of a lot of fun. Oh, they're a ton of fun. Yeah, and I it's a, to, I, I haven't actually run a Spartan race, but I've been in yeah. SEAL teams. You know, we used to yeah. do combat conditions. Well, that's, they're, they're based off of, of armed forces obstacle courses. Right, yeah. Tough Mudder up, uh, started. Yeah. Um, actually, not the Tough Mudder, but the Mud Run at Camp Pendleton yeah. preceded the Tough Mudder by 20 years. Yeah. It's yeah. No, they're they're fantastic, and I you know I'm building an obstacle course right now in my backyard. I've uh, you know I've got about ten acres in the forest out there, and so you you go from rock climbs up the hill to the I've got spears and hay bales up in the trees, and you throw the spear at the at the hay bale, which is another event in the Spartan and chain drags. You know you can build an entire outdoor gym for about a hundred bucks if you go to your local hardware store. So I've got a bunch of chains attached to cinder blocks that you drag up the hill, and then you hold it overhead and run back down the hill and ropes and a big wall that you can do traverse climbing on it's it's fun it's fun you just do a circuit running around the property and before you know it you know you're 90 minutes into a workout yeah okay so training for an obstacle race versus training for an ironman Mm. what do you need to shift and what's that training plan going to look like going forward you know, I don't, I don't know that a lot will shift from a training philosophy standpoint. And, and this was a, a big, big part of, of the book was the traditional aerobic approach to endurance training versus the high-intensity interval training approach. So when you are trying to train for endurance, one of your main goals is to increase mitochondrial density and you know, like the number of mitochondria that you have because mitochondria are the powerhouses in your cell that are going to use oxygen and create ATP. There are two ways to tap into that pathway. Um, one, one is called the, the AMP-K pathway. Um, the other one I'm, I'm blanking on now because I still have brain fog from Kokoro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit sleep deprived. I'm blanking on yeah. it too. It must yeah. be. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, yeah, yeah. So anyways, <laughs> two different ways to feed into that pathway and cause that biological reaction of building more mitochondria. So you can gain endurance by doing very short, frequent, high-intensity interval training sessions, or you can use what's called a polarized training approach, where you're doing very long but low-level aerobic training. Right. And most, most and do they work together? That's the question. Like CrossFit endurance. They uh, don't work. They don't work that well together because in order to benefit from the polarized, the low intensity training approach, you must do many, many hours of training at a low level intensity. If you try that approach, but you're operating at a medium level intensity, it's a very fast road to hormonal dysregulation, overtraining, etc. But that's what a lot of endurance athletes do, like that lunchtime one hour run where you're working at a seven on a scale of one to 10 and kind of pushing that steady state. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's more like the state you'd want to be in during a, a five hour ruck or something like that, like, like aerobic. The problem is if you combine the two, it's just, it's, it's too much. So, and they've done research on some of the top endurance athletes on the face of the planet. And it's almost all that aerobic training with very, very low amounts of that high intensity interval training. Unfortunately, the average Joe doesn't have the time to train 40 hours a week. So when I trained for Ironman, uh, what I did was I kind of adjusted my environment so that I was active all day long. Pull-up bar in the door of the office, standing workstation, um, you know, heavy rock out in the backyard that I'd go back and lift a few times a day. And then at the end of the day, and, and that's a very good time to work out, by the way, because that's when your body temperature peaks, your reaction time peaks, your, your post-workout protein synthesis or your ability to recover peaks. So afternoon, early evening, I would do a very, very high-intensity interval training session where I, you know, either the run or the swim or the bike was very, very intense. 
and then on the weekends, kind of a mid-distance session. So for Ironman triathlon, I'd train about eight to ten hours a week, whereas the normal training is about twenty to thirty hours a week, uh, and that that approach worked very very well. And for Spartan, you know, my my approach is pretty similar, where I'm I'm just doing very short high-intensity training sessions, and then something like that obstacle course workout I described is about once a week to once every two weeks, where you're doing the longer session. So the training changes in that there's, you know, your your exercises are different, but the philosophy is the same. It's hack your environment, standing workstation, active all day long, kind of doing the, the hunter-gatherer type of thing, even if you have an office job. And then at the end of the day, or at the beginning of the day, if that's the way that your schedule you know, is. Do you use a standing workstation? I do. I do. It's one of the, it's called a rebel desk. It's a crank workstation. So it cranks up and cranks down. Okay. I mean, you don't have a treadmill on it. It's just standing. I don't have one yet. Um, that kind of returns to the EMF discussion. Right. They, they make a, a really cool manual treadmill with no rails. Like Woodway makes one. Uh, it's it's a, just basically a, a, a treadmill style desk, but it only goes up to four miles an hour. Mm. I want a desk that if I wanted to, every once in a while, I could run from I could run from a lion, right? While I'm at work, <laughs> so I'm I'm talking to a company right now uh, about about their their treadmill. It's an, it's a no rails treadmill. It's a manual treadmill that'll go up to 14 miles an hour, mm. so that I can just go into sprints every once in a while, or even wheel it into the gym in my house, which is next to the office, and do a workout in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the idea here is that you stay active all day long. And then the icing on the cake is that short, brief spurt of intensity at either the beginning or the end of the day. And if you are a person who is limited for time and you can't work out two or three hours a day and maybe you got 30 minutes, that works really well. And it's nice to finish the day and know that you've been moving all day. You have that option to go to the gym or go outside and put the, put the, you know, put the cherry on top. But that's kind of the same approach I use with Spartan is just low-level physical activity throughout the day followed by a high-intensity interval training session right. at some point. And to make sure that that high-intensity session is using, you know, the functional tools and movements. Exactly. Total body training. Exactly. So you can, you can apply that system to any sport, right. you know, triathlon or Spartan racing or, you know, marathoning or anything like that. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay, last subject because I know we're, we're kind of getting a little long in the tooth here and we, I want to move on, but... Um, You've got kids. I've got a 14-year-old son. Um, raising uh, children is you know, enormously rewarding, Yeah. sometimes frustrating and challenging. I think probably, and you probably would agree with this, the biggest challenge uh, for parents raising kids is just general pop culture and the way our society has evolved. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yep. you know, ideals around food and ideals around training and mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. You know, perpetuating the school system, just junk science. Yeah. And so it requires us to really get much more involved in things and not just not outsource yeah. that stuff to the system any, yeah. any longer. Yeah. So I know this is kind of a near and dear subject to you, so let's talk about uh, some of the things you're doing to really affect yeah. the future of your children. Yeah. Well, I think the key to this, whether, whether your kids are going to be in, in, a, in a public or a private school system or, you know, right now we homeschool our kids and so we're, we're just kind of in charge of everything. But the idea, you know, and I, I, I recently gave a talk called How to Grow Tiny Superhumans and, you know, it's, it's growing tiny superhumans isn't about creating perfect kids. It's about creating, you know, free thinking, free spirited, resilient kids who know how to thrive in unpredictable situations. So for us, a big part of it is using life to teach kids and putting them into situations where they're learning by experience. 
and then also knowing how to how to let go of your kids um, and how to just you know like our kids you know well even though it makes me slightly nervous I let them go out in the forest and just get lost and go play and they might end up in a bear trap or chased by a mountain lion or something but like I'm willing to take that chance because I want them to learn that's the way that I grew up I grew up on on six acres of land and you know I was homeschooled so I'd finish school about 11 or 12 o'clock and then I'd just disappear until dinner time and you know go out with my friends and we'd play guns out in the hills and and just run around and and I'd somehow make at home alive by dinner and I learned a lot about about the world around me and and how to thrive and I think that a lot of times you know of course we all know kids go indoors and they play video games or whatever and you know obviously I'm not a fan of that but I think the the bigger issue especially with people who have young kids is just wanting to protect your children versus letting them just thrive and, and learn on their own the other part of that is uh, the experience part. So I'm a big, big fan of experiential learning. Choosing something that you want your children to learn and then using life experiences to teach that. So last year, for example, we moved to Thailand for a month because I wanted to teach my children about Asian culture. So we spent the summer uh, doing Thai cooking and going to Thai restaurants and learning how to use some of the new Thai words that we'd learned, studying Thailand geography, and you know, throwing other things in the mix like airplane travel and elephants and everything else that you'd experience there. And then we flew there and we lived there for a month. And the kids just got to immerse themselves in it, practice everything, you know, order the same way in Thailand as they did in the States and, and learn through experience. And I think that's really important too. There was a, there was a really interesting article recently in, I believe it was Forbes magazine about how to raise a billionaire. And a big part of it was, was like, you want it, you want a kid who's almost mildly a, a, a social outcast or who gets a few F's here and there in right. high school because they're not going to be a sheep, right? They're not right. going to be and a lemming. They, they'll, they'll master yeah. whatever. Really interesting. Maybe they're getting into a, a failure in, in high school math because they were too busy running their business right. where they were doing a really different, more applicable style of right. math. Right. So I think I think that's a really important part of things. And then, of course, from a health standpoint, just a ton of little things that fly under the radar. Strengthening your child's immune system by letting them get dirty and feeding them fermented foods, you know, and and you know if you have the option breastfeeding them, and you know I, I don't think you'll probably breastfeed your fourteen-year-old Mark, no, but no, yeah. No, um, anyways, though, the the idea though is is you build up your kid's immune system by not letting them use or not or encouraging not to use antibacterial hand soaps, antibiotics, and our kids only really shower, or bathe yeah, like every two or three days. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So yeah, letting them get dirty. Fat is a huge, huge part. You know, kids should be eating a ton of fat, and so the whole fat-free, low-fat stuff is—it's no good for making kids smarter. It's really interesting. Even even like a child's facial symmetry and beauty, which in our culture helps you as, as far as your income goes. Facial symmetry, beauty, your height—all of that is super important now. Um, I don't necessarily think it should be, but but it is. Vitamin K and vitamin D deficits in childhood lead to facial asymmetries and stunted growth later on in life. So doing simple as, as simple as choosing foods like liver and fermented soybeans, or what are called natto in Japan, like little things like that, give your child a huge step up in life later on. Mm. Yeah, but a lot of people don't don't think about that stuff early on. That's so. what happened to me. Yeah, but probably. You didn't, you didn't need enough fermented soybeans, Mark, because you're obviously small and, wow. and ugly. Um, anyways, though, so, so yeah, that's actually the next book I'm working on is not necessarily how to raise healthy kids, right. but I want to teach people how to raise kids that are, you know, little, little noble men and noble women who, who right. look good, feel good, and, and perform like superhumans. So.
Yeah. Yeah. Looking good and feeling good. Ought on being Hollywood. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, in a way, what, what, um, what I love about that is, you know, a lot of this information, you know, used to be just the way we raise kids. Like mm -hmm. I said, you know, when I grew up in upstate New York, you know, we ate from our own garden. Yeah. Right? And we had a friend who had um, cattle, and so that was our meat for the wintertime. Yeah. We were outside constantly, you know, working, playing, climbing yep. trees, building forts. And so, you know, and that was all, and, and so, you know, learning and growing was done in a much more, you know, tribal level. Yeah. Even just 30 or 40 yep. years ago. It's yeah. It's all been lost. Yeah. And so, we, you know, the work you're doing is very important. So we need to bring that wisdom back yeah. and, then, you know, put the research behind it and um, get people to believe it again. Yeah. We almost need to unstructure structure. For sure. And, yeah. and return all, to like free play. All the systems play. that are structured for the industrial age, we yeah. talked about that last week, are, um, are holding us back. Yeah. So we need to circumvent them as best we can, build yeah. our own new structures, let them yeah. die in the vine. Yeah. Yeah, unless you want your kid to be a factory worker, which right. yeah, I don't. Not, so, not, I mean, not. Oh, I know. I know some it. pretty cool factory workers, but they don't make. Our, uh, don't make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So, um, Spartan race, uh, kids, book. What else you got going on? What's next for you in terms of? Uh, oh man. You know those those are those are some of the some of the big ones. Yeah, I, I still still play a lot of tennis, even though I'm not not a. They're really uh, doing it for for, uh, for professional aspirations, obviously, but doing a lot of that. And uh, right now, actually, the, the last thing I'm working on is, is a really self-sustainable garden okay. back at home, a farm with goats and chickens right. and everything we need for that. So my wife's a really good gardener, and, and uh, she grew up on a farm, and th that's the next skill set I want to get into is get, get my green thumbs. Right. So. so i got a challenge for you, and then we're going to sign off here. Uh-oh. <laughs> come on already i just finished the last one 12 hours ago or whatever yeah so you have the right to say let me think about it but i'm planning on doing a hell week hmm. in february and filming it for a documentary lining up sponsors and i want to you know as best i can replicate the experience of the actual hell week five days no sleep we're on the clock training think about yeah it. yeah Invite only. Yeah. And down here? California? Be down here, yeah. Yeah. On the beaches and the mountains. So we'll have a, a part of it will have a coral esque, you know, kind of feel because that, yeah. that, we've already got that wired. Right. But we're going to add to it, you know, some boats probably, add more people yeah. in the mountains. Add yeah. More and more. Well, I was already thinking about, about throwing turning steel as another crucible into in the next year's calendar. Too, so, yeah. uh, so yeah, turning steel uh, without the uh, without the guns and without the sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that would be a pretty cool challenge. I would have to talk my wife into into letting me disappear again for a few days, but you know, I I, I think right, I think I'd get, be up for it. You can get yeah. back to me on that. Yeah, I will. Into that madness. I will. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, Ben. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an honor to train with you and to get to know you and. Uh, I look forward yeah. to more. It's fantastic. You got a, a very cool thing going on down here. Yeah, indeed. Oh, yeah. All right, folks. Thank you very much uh, to Ben. Give him a big shout out. He's got an outstanding podcast at iTunes. Check out his book, Beyond Training, which can, uh, can be found at Amazon and wherever books are sold. And um, until next time, train hard, stay safe, have fun. Ooh, yeah. All right. I hope you enjoyed that show. That podcast was brought to you by MetLife Defender. 
complete internet identity protection. You can check out the information at the link for MetLife Defender at our website at sealfit.com. Until next time, train hard, stay safe, have fun. Hoo-ya, Coach Devine out. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets.